Welcome to today's podcast, the first edition of our Emerging Market Access series. I'm Stephen Majors, Director of the Healthcare Practice at Frontier Strategy Group, a global advisory and consulting firm that works with multinational companies on their international growth strategies. Our healthcare practice advises pharma, medtech, and diagnostics firms on growth and market access strategies. We strongly believe that successful market access is the key to sustained growth. We work with clients on challenges such as how to ensure a government understands the value of their therapeutic, how to align their strategy with the particular characteristics of a market, and how to ensure they can beat the competition. In cash-strapped emerging markets, healthcare multinationals must constantly evolve with the external environment. One area of critical importance for market access is value-added services, and how those services can contribute to the evolution of value-based care. Most industry watchers believe that healthcare companies cannot survive in the long term as the creators of singular therapeutics, devices, and diagnostics. They must evolve into service-based companies that sell holistic care solutions to ensure patient wellness. But FSG's research and surveys show that healthcare companies are behind other industries when it comes to monetizing these services. Narrowing this gap is critical to healthcare multinationals' ability to continue driving profits while contributing to better out- treatment outcomes in emerging markets. So, today I've invited Alec Lee, our Latin America healthcare expert and our research lead on value-added services, to talk about lessons learned and what the future holds. Thanks for joining me, Alec. My pleasure, Stephen. I think this is a really important topic to be speaking about today. Let's start off with some context, Alec. Can you tell us, at their core, what are value-added services? For services to be considered value-added, should companies already be monetizing these services? Sure, so I I think this is a really good place to start, obviously. Um, And uh, through my conversations uh, with our healthcare clients across regions, I've actually heard many different uh, definitions of what is a a value-added service. Um, Some of the most interesting uh, and uh, most basic uh, are essentially anything that's uh, not our core product. And while that it does make sense and is in line with our view, I think essentially we can uh, provide uh, three components of what is a value-added service. Um, First of all, uh, it needs to be uh, intangible. Um, So this is a service and in in its nature it's intangible. Uh, Second, it needs to be additive uh, to a core uh, therapy. And then third, uh, it needs to be provided to really broadly speaking before, during, or even after the delivery of that core therapy. So if you're thinking about uh, a drug uh, delivery service could be provided uh, prior uh, to diagnosis or during diagnosis, uh, during the actual treatment, or even uh, in if certain follow-up procedures. So very broad-based when we look at that definition. Great. Thanks, Alec. So give us some specific examples of the types of value-added services that healthcare companies are adopting. And is it pharma, biopharma, devices, or diagnostics firms that are really leading the charge here? Sure thing. Um, so to begin with, I think the best way to think about uh, value-added services in general and in the healthcare space is to really uh, break them down into how they're providing value, how they're creating value Uh, for the uh, stakeholder uh, that your company is targeting. So the first group that I'd highlight here, uh, we call them enablers. Um, Enablers for us uh, are essentially services that are helping to magnify the value of your therapy. 
Uh, some of these examples, it might be training for nurses or doctors. Uh, it might be uh, solutions within the clinical setting, solutions uh, outside of the clinical setting. Again, that uh, enhance the value of your core uh, therapy. The second group would be uh, what we call customer support services. Um, these are services that would provide uh, value beyond uh, your core therapy. So uh, IT solutions, um, outsourcing certain functions of the hospital, uh, such as uh, the, the, the management of stock rooms, uh, etc. And then the third uh, group here would be what we call uh, business terms. And this is an interesting category uh, and really where we get into areas such as uh, financing, uh, warranties, uh, value-based uh, reimbursement uh, based on outcomes. Um, also, it perhaps uh, prioritized access to next-generation therapies for uh, leading hospitals and clinics that uh, need to be on the cutting edge of technology to position themselves in the market. So recapping, there are really three categories are, when we're looking at value-added services, enablers, customer support services, and business terms. Now, when we look at who's providing these across these uh, different players in the healthcare space, uh, med tech, uh, biopharma, et cetera, uh, really, we're seeing a broad base. The med tech sector has obviously started off this trend as they've seen a greater pressures on uh, pricing, a higher competitive forces, et cetera. Um, but we're seeing an increasing a concentration of the pharmaceutical sector in a, this space, especially as uh, payers and providers become more budget constrained and they're shifting uh, greater attention to both price controls, but also uh, looking to increase the utilization of uh, generics in their markets in order to reduce costs. Great. Thanks, Alec. And of course, as we know, every firm these days, no matter what the sector, is basically a technology firm at some level. So how do digital tools play in here? Yeah, no, that's, um, that's also a great question. So when we were talking about value-added services, I mentioned again these three categories of enablers, customer support services, and business terms. Uh, and the services I was mentioning were really looking at uh, services that a lot of companies have been either providing for a while or are beginning to provide today. But obviously, the next generation of services will leverage uh, digital tools. Uh, when I'm talking about digital tools, we can also think about three different buckets. The first would be uh, platforms, uh, looking at uh, the provision of e-health platforms, uh, the electronic health record support, uh, looking at uh, devices to uh, smart, uh, smart drug delivery systems, uh, etc. The second uh, bucket here would be around uh, data aggregation. Obviously, there's uh, abundance of data, both patient data, uh, 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 personnel data from, from hospitals, um, and who's going to aggregate that data so then it can be utilized uh, to drive enhanced outcomes. And then the third bucket would be around data analytics. How are we taking that data and then uh, analyzing it to make uh, suggestions or provide uh, consulting around what uh, uh, clinics and hospitals should be doing to improve their operations? So that's really those three buckets are where we see the next wave of value-added services coming in uh, and what the innovators in this space are, are really doing. Uh, but obviously at the same moment, there's a, a challenge of how do we commercialize uh, these services. So technology is really going to be the future uh, for these firms in a lot of ways. It, it, I would say it has to be. If you look at uh, cost and, and budget availability, it, this, this is going to play a huge role in overcoming those challenges. 
Okay, so moving on, um, for healthcare multinationals, should uh, value-added services be viewed as the price of gaining market access for a device or a therapeutic, <coughs> or can the services be monetized in addition to the legacy product? Um, and is this a case of either or or both, depending on the circumstances? Now, you, I think you really hit on the key question here. So outside of just, you know, what, what are companies currently doing and what comes next, the key question is and will continue to be, even with digital uh, solutions or, or services, is how can we monetize uh, these solutions um, with our payers, with our providers? And when we look at it, uh, it's a little bit of a mixed bag. We can be uh, charging directly for these services, um, but we can also use these services to essentially create differentiation and increase the volume uh, of our therapy that we're selling into the market or even protect uh, our position in terms of pricing. Um, because again, we are driving enhanced value and in, in differentiation against uh, the competition. Now, to answer your question directly, it largely depends on circumstance. Uh, is your company um, uh, selling an innovative uh, therapy? Uh, or is your company selling perhaps an innovative therapy that's seeing a generic threat come into the market and you need to begin to enhance your differentiation be beyond that core therapy? Uh, within the uh, med tech space, we're really looking at obviously the, uh, the, the, the premium segment uh, while, generally speaking, they use services such as training to create new markets, to train doctors on how to use non-invasive uh, procedures, um, these services can also be uh, leveraged uh, to justify certain uh, price points for these higher value uh, products um, by even adding more value to the payers and providers. So again, uh, I would contextualize it in saying it depends on circumstance, but we really have to understand that just because you can't charge directly for the service doesn't necessarily mean it's not contributing significantly to your commercial performance. Okay, okay. Um, I'm gonna ask this next question in a familiar way. Are all value-added services created equal? Um, I mean, meaning, do they, do they all provide the same opportunity to facilitate market access and boost commercial results, or is this a, an issue of you know big differences among the different uh, approaches? Right. Um, now, uh, this is, this is a, another great question. Um, and what we've seen in the market, and right now this is, comes from some proprietary benchmarking, is essentially we have three types of uh, value-added services. When we, when we ask the question of what sort of differentiation are they permitting us uh, to create uh, with our overall solutions offering, looking at the healthcare space. The first would be uh, the first group would be required services. These are services uh, much like is in training uh, for uh, doctors and nurses, both for pharma and med tech companies, uh, is essentially a service that you must provide or you're out of the game. Um, again, we call these required services. Then the second group would be underprovided services. Uh, these might be service, services such as uh, operating room management. Um, helping the hospitals to outsource the, the, the management of the operating room and, and boost uh, revenue. Now, these services, uh, generally speaking, when we say underprovided, we mean that they're not uh, necess necessary to play. Um, you can drive uh, price differentiation, but there is competition uh, that's also likely uh, offering the same solution. And then we finally, we have a, a third bucket that we call latent uh, value-added services. 
latent value added services, again, are those next generation services that are you're only going to want to provide to certain segments uh, within your customer base, but that are really going to allow you to drive a, a skim pricing uh, and enhance uh, profitability. Now, when we look at our internal, uh, our benchmarking with our multinational uh, healthcare clients, uh, in fact, uh, 63% of medtech clients uh, are providing some sort of required uh, service, uh, while only 47% are providing some sort of latent value-added service. On the pharmaceutical side, we see that uh, 50% are providing some sort of required service, while just 30% are providing some sort of latent service. Again, that's allowing for a, a, a significant uh, differentiation and higher pricing. And that, uh, that difference there, I think we can just see it so with those numbers, uh, is the difference in, in how we see MedTech actually leading this movement in providing uh, value-added services that drive differentiation. Got it. Okay. And so another question about the required services. Is it possible for companies to still monetize these, or is that just not possible? <clears throat> We think it's absolutely possible, and of course, we're always going to have to be looking to what comes next. But when it comes to these required services, uh, there's something we can't get out of it. Obviously, we, it's going to be really hard, if not impossible, to charge for it. Um, in fact, we believe in, in most cases it's going to be uh, impossible to go back to the, the, the customers and charge for these services. Um, but what we have seen in, in the healthcare space is that those companies that are able to uh, collect the correct uh, customer insights around what the different stakeholders, uh, what their uh, needs are and what their preferences are in terms of service delivery, whether that be speed, uh, trust in your service personnel, uh, how well those uh, service personnel interact to, with the hospital staff. Uh, those differentiators can uh, actually allow you uh, to drive um, enhanced outcomes with these required services. And it, it, I can give you a um, an example here going outside of the space, but if we think of uh, ho the hotel industry, um, it's never, everyone generally speaking in premium hotels, they have the similar locations, they all have uh, beds and locks on their doors, and uh, they all have room service, uh, but what makes you continue to go back to the same hotel and again allows that hotel to drive increased revenue is the quality and the experience of that service uh, by uh, the customer. So it's a, a little bit of the same concept, and we think that this uh, collection of customer insights to, to really execute on the delivery of the service, whether it be training, uh, whether it be um, a maintenance or repair of capital equipment, is absolutely critical uh, to enhancing the commercial performance uh, with these services. Okay, and what is the biggest pitfall you would say that healthcare companies face uh, when they are looking to monetize these value-added services and what can they do about mm -hmm, this? Mm -hmm. So what we've seen, and, and really, uh, it's really interesting that you uh, bring up this question. So uh, in fact, uh, when we benchmarked uh, across the healthcare space of how, how often companies are actually able to monetize their services, and that I mean by monetize is how often are their services contributing to profitability. Um, we saw uh, within the medtech space, uh, we benchmarked and we, we found that only 50% of companies uh, were uh, able to drive uh, enhanced profitability with their value-added services. And with the pharmaceutical space, that number fell all the way uh, to 10%. So a very, uh, I would say, contextualize that is a significant underperformance with these services. Now, the biggest pitfall that we found is that despite the fact that these uh, services are becoming an in, uh, increasingly important component of a healthcare company's value proposition, given the market dynamics, et cetera, 
we see a tendency to underprioritize uh, these services and particularly the management of these services. So we all know that we have uh, product life cycles in, in pharma, in med tech, uh, where we move from uh, being an, an innovator with the strong patent protection to coming off patent protection uh, to being it and, and losing pricing. Uh, and we can look at services much the same way, and we should be managing uh, for that life cycle. We're calling the value-added service life cycle uh, for in, in three stages, uh, from inception and launch, and that would be uh, getting the right design at the local level, uh, so localizing your solution um, and charging uh, for that solution from the beginning, uh, to delivery, the second stage of this uh, managing the life cycle, and that is collecting the right customer insights uh, to execute um, at, a, at a more nuanced level in value creation through service delivery. And then finally, uh, the third stage of managing this life cycle uh, would be uh, having a pro- sound process in place to renew the life cycle. And essentially what I'm saying here is uh, invest locally in identifying next generation uh, solutions that map uh, to the needs of your uh, key stakeholders. So in order uh, to remain competitive with value-added services, leading companies will need to have a strong process to identify next-generation services, essentially investing at a local level in service innovation. Um, Let's do some future-gazing now. Let's pretend it's 2025. Picture one of today's prominent multinational pharmaceutical companies and consider how the market landscape in a key market like China or Brazil has evolved. What does this company look like in terms of an integrated healthcare offering? Right. Uh, so that's a that's a it's a difficult question to answer, um, but I'll take uh, my best shot at it. Uh, so 2025. And, and first of all, I'd like to uh, mention here that um, when we're uh, looking at innovation in terms of value added services, integrated solutions, um, we actually have seen that, uh, in fact, only of the med tech companies, despite the, the long standing use of services such as uh, training uh, et cetera, in order to, 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 to uh, drive differentiation and, and drive uh, adoption of certain technologies. Only 50% of medtech companies actually have a process in place to identify next-generation services, despite the, the critical level of importance uh, for their value proposition. And in the pharma sector, it's even lower. We found that only 29% of pharmaceutical companies actually have a process in place to identify what comes next. So when we look at these key markets uh, in, the, in the emerging market space, such as China and Brazil, that are, are rapidly evolving in terms of um, uh, both the reimbursement structures, uh, but also uh, whether they're prioritizing uh, quality over cost over access, uh, we see that companies are really going to have to uh, be in a position to innovate and follow the market trends. And I would just say that uh, when we look at 2025, Today, companies uh, might be providing value-added services, let's say, within, within one area of the, the, the clinical process. But in 2025, it's really going to be, uh, we're going to see further, in my view, further market concentration. And those players that have the greatest success are going to be able to provide solutions and value, uh, beginning with uh, patient wellness programs uh, through to uh, the, the diagnosis of uh, certain diseases into treatment and then uh, falling into uh, the follow-up stages of uh, treatment. So really through the, 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 entire, uh, the entire process of, of caring uh, for the patients uh, as we uh, see healthcare systems evolve over time. And that 
means uh, we won't only need to innovate, but we will need to uh, create uh, new networks uh, of stakeholders and engage with new uh, players outside uh, that perhaps today are outside of the healthcare space in order to, to provide those holistic solutions. Great. So Alec, uh, finally, can you give us an idea of the healthcare markets out there that are farthest along in terms of creating a regulatory environment that is conducive uh, to value-added services and the, and the types of evolutions you're talking about? Yeah, sure, sure thing. So what I would say, you know, when we look at different healthcare systems uh, across across the world, um, the, those markets that are going to be most, let's say, uh, open to uh, value-added service delivery and integrated solutions are going to be those uh, that create the right incentives uh, for that, that sort of delivery. Um, so an example here uh, that while in the U.S. we still see a lot of the market uh, geared towards uh, <clears throat> reimbursement uh, around uh, fee-for-service, uh, we do see uh, with Medicare a shift uh, towards uh, value-based reimbursement, which is opening up new opportunities uh, for both medtech companies as well as pharmaceutical companies to uh, offer uh, differentiated solutions uh, focusing more on outcomes uh, rather than uh, just the, 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 the core therapy. Now, when we look at the emerging markets, uh, it's going to be a little bit of a different uh, situation. Um, many of these markets are very fragmented, so more than just being at the country level, we really uh, should be thinking about our market prioritization and customer segmentation uh, at the payer and even provider level thinking about how, again, uh, different reimbursement uh, uh, methodologies are, will allow us to place our uh, certain solutions across these markets. And just to give you some examples, in China, uh, you know, while uh, in, in many areas we still have a, a fee-for-service model, we do have significant uh, innovation uh, across uh, different provinces and across different municipalities uh, as we've had a lot of power in terms of how those reimbursement models are designed uh, devolved uh, to those stakeholders. Uh, and again, in Latin America, the, the region's largest country in Brazil, we see a similar tendency where across, again, certain states as well as certain uh, private sector uh, integrated uh, payers um, are innovating in their uh, reimbursement models, which are opening new opportunities for multinational healthcare companies to arrive and present uh, innovative or integrated solutions, value-added service plus uh, core therapy uh, to gain market access and drive enhanced commercial performance. Great. Well, th this has been a really wonderful uh, discussion today, Alec. A lot of ground covered here and certainly a lot of food for thought for uh, future discussions as well. So, um, just wanted to remind listeners that uh, you can rate and subscribe to FSG's channel on iTunes or Stitcher to receive immediate access to our newest podcast episodes. And if you have any questions, please reach, reach out to us at info at frontierstrategygroup.com. Uh, until next time in the uh, new Emerging Market Access podcast, uh, we wish you great outperformance in your Emerging Markets portfolio.